Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, happy Easter, Connect. If you got an invite from a friend, or maybe you just received an invite in the mail, or maybe you just Googled churches near me, uh, on behalf of our team, I want to say welcome to Connect Church. We're so glad you're with us today. If we haven't met yet, my name's Chris. I get to serve as the pastor on the team here. And as I've been praying and thinking about this moment, my prayer for you has been that, that you would experience God, that you would feel His love, and that ultimately, he would transform your story, that he would intersect your story today. You see, we've all got a story, and if your story is anything like my story, then you've had some high highs. Uh, Maybe it was getting your driver's license as a 16-year-old, or maybe it was standing across from the one you love and saying, I do. Maybe it was holding your baby for the first time in the hospital. You've had some high highs, but you've also probably had some low lows. I know I have experiencing failure, being rejected, feeling disconnected. And we've got these highs and these lows in life, and they kind of make up our stories. And let me just share a little bit of my story with you. So you see, growing up, uh, I was an athlete. Always thought of myself as an athlete. If If it was a sport, I played it. Basketball, baseball, soccer, tennis, you name it, I played it. So a high for me was getting an offer to play college tennis and get a scholarship to do so. So getting played to play a sport, like, heck yeah, I'm totally in. Now, the only thing that matched my ego was my losing streak through college. You see, I won a match or two the fall of my freshman year, and then for three and a half years, all I did was lose. Let me tell you, I was an awesome loser. If you don't believe me, you can ask Tyler in the back. He played some of those matches with me, and I lost a ton. Eventually, spring of my senior year, we played an out-of-conference school. It was an exhibition match, a lesser conference. Well, I won. I finally won. All the campus knew that I won that day. And here's what I learned through this experience playing college tennis. When your identity is linked with your performance, it can be rather depressing. You see our stories, we've got high highs, we've got low lows, but what really makes a a good story, a story worth telling, is uh, those pivotal moments along the way. Maybe it's we gain clarity on something that has confused us in the past. Maybe we're just, we're freed up from something that's been holding us back. Maybe it's a better understanding, uh, a more clear picture of who we are and how we can make a difference with our life. Transformation, transformation is what makes our story a story worth telling. And there's something in all of us that longs for transformation. We want to be better. We want something different. We want life change. It's why we get wrapped up in the novel. We're captivated by the movie. We binge the series. Because in that climactic moment, when the hero triumphs, A smile fills our face and our heart just leaps for joy for them because we know they're never going to be the same. Because of the experience they had, they're never going to be the same. And as we admire the hero, 
we wonder to ourselves, could that ever be me? Because I sure hope so. I believe stories resonate with us deeply because God actually hardwired story into us as humanity. History is the story of God intersecting the stories of his people. And that's what we've been seeing over the last several weeks in this epic series. You see, we've been going through the Bible. The Bible is actually just the story of God. And it teaches us how God intends to intersect our story, your story, my story. Now, whether or not you've been with us for the series, you came on a great day. Because today, we're at the climactic moment, not just of the Bible, but of human history. You see, in this moment, everything changed. And my prayer is that in this time together, everything could change for you too. That you could experience change and transformation in your life. So if you've got a Bible with you, whether it's a hard copy, digital copy, doesn't matter, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to be at verses 1 through 11. You can also follow along, easy, easily take notes in our church app. It's free. You can find it in your app store. Now, as you get there, let me just recap the story for us to bring us all up to speed, get us all on the same page before we head forward. See, in the beginning, God created humanity for a relationship with him relationship with one another, and to represent him to the world. Everything was good. It was perfect. And then a series of events instigated by our enemy, a sin just sideswiped everything that God made good. And now life is a mess. There is brokenness, heartache, hopelessness. And if that was the end of the story, it would be a tragedy. But God doesn't write tragedies. God's story is a comedy, not like Seinfeld or The Office, a comedy like what Shakespeare might write. Right. Uh, a tragedy is like a story that ends in, in death, destruction. It, it ends poorly. But a comedy is a story where there is life, fruitfulness, joy. God doesn't write tragedies. God writes comedies. Why is God's story a comedy and not a tragedy? And how can our story not be a tragedy. How can our story be a comedy? That's what we're going to discover together today. Before we get there, let's pause, let's pray, and let's ask that God just speak to each and every one of us now. Lord, we come before you eager to hear from you. Thank you for Easter. Thank you for this uh, moment in history that changed everything. As we look at it together through your word, would you speak to each and every one of us? Would you transform our lives? Would you reveal yourself to us? In Jesus' name, Amen. Paul was an unlikely follower of Jesus in the first century, and he wrote what we're about to read to a church in Corinth. He wrote it to them as an encouragement to build up their faith. And my, my hope, my prayer is that it'll do the same for us today. So let's, let's pick up 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verses 1 and 2. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Paul just cuts to the chase. He doesn't waste words. He just gets right after it. I want to remind you of the gospel. By this gospel, you're saved. Gospel. It's not a word you probably heard this week at Costco or the gym. So what is the gospel? Well, in the original language that he wrote this, the word is euangelion. It means good message or good news. And what it 
what it meant in that context was like a, a messenger would be sent by a general after the war. And the general sent this messenger to, to go through the town shouting, Euangelion, Euangelion, good news, good news. And what the messenger was announcing is that there was victory at war. So that's the historical context for this word, gospel. But when Paul uses this term, he's not referring to a, a physical war. He's referring to a different victory, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, why, why is Jesus good news? Who is Jesus? Anyway, you know, the, uh, the thoughts of the different opinions about who Jesus is, really, they're no different today than they were back then. Uh, some people think that Jesus is a good teacher. Some think that he's a prophet. Some actually think that Jesus is God. And the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and ministry tell us that Jesus was a good teacher. He taught his followers how to live life and how life was best lived. Jesus was a prophet. He actually foretold his death and foretold his, his resurrection. And the crazy thing about the eyewitness accounts is that they also believe Jesus is God. That's what makes Jesus different from all the other teachers, all the other prophets throughout history. Jesus is God. Only God can conquer the grave. And that's the good news that Paul is going to share and make a case for in this piece of the letter that we're looking at today. It's the good news that transformed Paul's story. It's the good news that can transform your story and my story. So Paul's case for Jesus is as follows. Jesus died. Verse 3, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Why did Jesus die? Well, why did Jesus die? Well, to understand that, we actually need to understand sin. And before sin was a biblical term, it had a whole lot of historical understanding around it. And part of that being, if, if an archer was shooting at a target, and they shot the arrow, arrow and they missed the mark, they sinned. So you're shooting at a target and you miss, that's, you sin. Biblically speaking, God is perfect. He is holy. So he, as his people, we should follow suit. However, when we gossip, when we lie, when we don't love the person we should love, when we miss the heart of God in any way, we have sinned. The, the problem with sin is that because God is holy, because he is perfect, he can't be in the presence of sin. Now, because we do sin and we're sinners, that means he can't be in the presence of us. There is a gap, there's a disconnection between God and us. But that's not God's desire. You see, one more thing we need to understand about sin. We need to understand what it ultimately results in. And to do that, Paul wrote this to another church, church in Rome, he said, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the ultimate result of sin is death. It's separation from God forever. The wage of sin is death. So for, for about 1,500 years, what God's people did is that they would, they would do animal sacrifices to cover over their sins so that they could engage with God. And through this time in Israel's history, uh, there were all these prophets that were sent by God to his people to tell them like, hey, one day the Messiah is coming. And when the Messiah comes, he's gonna free you. So they're, 
They're anxiously, expectantly awaiting this Messiah. And when Jesus showed up on the scene, Jesus fulfilled the hundreds of prophecies that were given even hundreds of years before he showed up on planet Earth. And he fulfilled these. You see, he was the Messiah. And more than the Messiah, Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God. When, when he died, his sacrifice was the ultimate sacrifice. Like there's, there's no more animal sacrifices now. Every animal rights activist like, amen to that. Understandably so. As a religious worker, I'm thankful for that too. No more animal sacrifices. Because God's got something new. You see, here's the amazing thing about Jesus' death. Because Jesus lived a perfect life, he never missed the mark. He never sinned. Because he never sinned, he didn't have a wage for sin to pay. So when Jesus died, he didn't pay the wage for his sin. He didn't have any. Jesus died and he paid the wage for your sin and my sin. Now, because of Jesus, that, that gap, that disconnection, it's closed. We can connect with God. We can have a relationship with him all because of Jesus. So Jesus died just like the scripture said. And just like the scripture said, Jesus rose. Picking up back in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, now verse 4. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, throughout Jesus' ministry, he predicted his death in his resurrection. Sometimes he taught about it metaphorically, other times he just taught it blatantly. About three years into his ministry, the craziest thing happened. Jesus died on a cross at the hands of the Romans. Their enemies, the one that they thought the Messiah was going to come and free them from, there was Jesus hanging on a Roman cross, dead. And it had to have felt like all hope was lost. But then, three days later, Jesus victoriously rose from the grave and hope rose with him. Jesus paid the wage for sin when he died on the cross, and he is offering us new life, resurrection life with him. We can experience victory in our lives too, both now and forever, all because of Jesus. Uh, just uh, this past month, my parents were over in Israel. They went on this trip. They got to see all these amazing you know, places that we read about in scripture. And when they were in Jerusalem, they went and they saw what is believed to be the tomb where Jesus' body was, was laid. Obviously, it's empty now because he is risen. But this is where they believe that his body was raised. Now, you might be thinking, okay, cool, Chris, like, the Bible says that Jesus rose. Well, I've never seen someone rise from the dead before, so why should I take your word for it? And that's, that's fair. In, in all honesty, I wasn't there, so you don't even need to take my word for it. But before you make your verdict, you'd be very wise to consider that there were over 500 witnesses, eyewitnesses, who saw Jesus after he rose. It leads us to the third point Paul makes. You see, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and three Jesus appeared. We read this in verses 5 through 8. In that he, Jesus, appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. When he appeared to James... 
And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So last week, uh, Amanda and I are sitting at the dinner table. We're reviewing. We're just talking about the Easter story with our girls. We have three little girls, one, three, and five. So we're talking about the Easter story, and I get to this part where Jesus has risen, and he appears to over 500 people. And I look at my girls, and I say, can you even count to 500? And I see it in their eyes, and I'm like, and Chloe, our three-year-old, jumps in. Yes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 18, 19, 21, 21, 28, 29, 100. It's not bad for a three-year-old. It's not quite 500 either. 500 people, like that's a lot of people. And by bringing this up, Paul is like, fact check me. These aren't 500 bot accounts on social media. These are 500 people each with a name, each with a story, go ask them their story. They were still living. Most of them were still living at the time. So Paul's got, he's like, I got nothing to hide, guys. Only proof to prove it. Go ask him. He's risen. He's appeared. He's appeared personally to, to people like Peter and James. Peter, or Cephas, as Paul called him in the passage today, was a blue-collar worker. And then at the invitation of Jesus, left everything he ever knew, because he wanted to experience more with his life. But it all went south for Peter. A low, low for him was the night that Jesus was arrested. Because Peter denied him three times. Denied his best friend, denied his rabbi. Yeah, I don't know the guy. But then, after Jesus had risen, Jesus appeared to Peter on a beach after a night of fishing, and he restored Peter. That was Peter's story. What about James? James was the half-brother of Jesus. Like, imagine that. Imagine being Jesus' half-brother. Like, when Mary walks into the room to referee the conflict, it is always your fault. Jesus always shares. He, he never calls you names. Parents, we're not supposed to have favorites. But if Jesus is your son, I mean, right? I mean, he's always loving. You never win arguments with him. He's always right. Imagine if you're James and, and Jesus is your brother. What would it take if you were James to believe that your brother was your God, Savior, and Lord? Death and resurrection is about the only thing. Personally, if he predicts his death, predicts his resurrection, and pulls it all off, I'm with that guy, even if he's my brother. So, Jesus appeared. He appeared personally to Peter and James. He also appeared bodily to the apostles. Luke, a doctor and historian in the first century, tells us that when Jesus appeared to his followers, they touched his nail-scarred hands. They touched his side, where the Roman soldier had pierced him to ensure he was dead. A paid professional, like his job is to kill people. He ensures that Jesus is dead. And then, when he's resurrected... Jesus is like, yeah, guys, touch my hands, touch my feet, touch my side. I'm the real deal. I'm here. And Jesus ate. He ate a fish right in front of him. Jesus is no ghost, no figment of the imagination. He rose bodily. He rose physically. And when Jesus appeared, he did so pivotally to Paul. Uh, we read this in, in verse 8. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. 
Paul called himself one abnormally born because he wasn't like the others. He didn't follow Jesus around while Jesus was doing his ministry. No, no, no. Paul wasn't a Jesus follower. Paul was a Jesus hater. That is, until Jesus appeared to him and it changed the trajectory of his life. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But first, let's take a second. Let's recap. What have we seen so far? Well, we've seen that Jesus died, Jesus rose, and Jesus appeared. The bottom line of this part being, hey, look, history is his story. That's what Paul is teaching them right now. Look, history is his story. But it's more than just historical for Paul. This is personal, as we see next, verse 9 and following. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than them all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. If you've ever felt like you're just too far gone for God, listen to this. Listen to Saul's story. Saul was a religious leader in the first century who was vehemently opposed to Jesus and all of his followers. You see, Jesus upset the apple cart of his religion. And Saul took it upon himself to rid the world of these Christians running around. So he would have, he actually like saw them, saw that they would be stoned for, for their belief in Jesus. Now, not like boulder stoned, like, like stone stoned, like, like rocks thrown at you until you die stoned. In fact, Saul was on the way to Damascus when a, he saw a bright light knocked him off his high horse, and he heard a voice say, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Say, who are you, Lord? It was Jesus appearing to Saul. So Saul gets there for three days. He's, he's physically blind, symbolically surfacing his spiritual blindness, but he's physically blind. God sends Ananias three days later to, to Saul to, to heal his physical blindness and also kind of reveal the spiritual blindness. Ananias shows up, uh, miracle, Paul, Saul, excuse me, can now see. And, and it is true. Saul is Paul. He's the same, the same guy. It was such a radical transformation that he changed his name from Saul to Paul. All because of this encounter with Jesus. You see, when, when, when he heard of Jesus in, in his grace, he got baptized, symbolically dying to his, his life of sin, rising to this new life with Jesus. And he went from, from terrorist to missionary, from persecuting the church to planting churches, all because of Jesus. So if you ever thought, oh, I'm too far gone for God, no one is too far gone from God. No one is too far gone from him. It doesn't matter what you've said. It doesn't matter what you've done. It does not matter what your story is. Jesus can transform your story. I, uh, I remember growing up, I always, I wanted to be a professional baseball player, right? I was an athlete and I was just like, okay, I want to be a professional baseball player because they're cool, they're famous, I want to be like them. I'd sign autographs before the game, people, kids would want to trade for my rookie card. Of course, I was going to hit the walk-off in the ninth inning of the you know, World Series, the whole deal. It was going to be awesome because I was going to be awesome. And, and then... I met Jesus at a new church in town. And 
I experienced his love. I, I experienced his forgiveness. And it changed everything for me. Like Paul, I, I got baptized, dined to this life of sin, rising to this life with, with Jesus, receiving his forgiveness. And be like, all right, I'm going to follow him with my life. Fast forward a couple months after that, I'm at a youth conference, CIY. And the last night of the conference, I sense God calling me to be a pastor. And let's just say no one's asking for my autograph before service now. Still waiting for my pastor trading card. No. Truth be told, I'm no longer playing for the applause of others. I'm playing for an audience of one. And having sought the applause of others for so long, I gotta tell you, it's very freeing playing for an audience of one. It doesn't matter if my, my message is a home run or a bunt. God loves me just the same. Because God loves me not because of what I do. He loves me because of who I am. I am his and I'm loved. And having met Jesus, it changes, it changes why I even do what I do. Like, like back in college when I was playing tennis and just losing. I got to this point where I was like, why, why am I playing? I'm not impressing anyone. And that's when I got greater purpose in why to play. And what we would do after our matches, I felt this conviction, I let our team in it, we're gonna pray for our opponents after the match. In tennis, you shake hands with your opponent at the net after the match, when we would do that, we would say, can I pray for you? And we would pray with our opponents right then and there. Very humbling experience after getting your butt kicked. But God showed up in those moments. And now, I mean, even, even just last summer, uh, I was reminded, by God, I'm not going to be a professional baseball player. You see, I took a swing at a slow-pitch softball, and my arm just continued with the bat. Tore my labrum. Clearly, I'm getting old. Please don't rub it in. So I decided, you know what? If I'm getting old, I'm going to play an old person's sport. I started playing pickleball. Okay? Yep, college tennis to pickleball. My life is going places. If you want an autograph, I'll be up front after. Here's the deal. I'm playing pickleball. And yeah, it's a lot more fun than it actually looks. And I've got to meet some incredible people. Some incredible people. People I've gotten to pray with, listen to, invite to, to celebrate with us on days like today. And I can't picture heaven without them. So pickleball is more than a hobby for me. It's my mission field. People that I love and know that God loves even more. Stories that God wants to intersect. Because make no doubt about it, Jesus transformed Paul's story. Jesus transformed my story, and Jesus can transform your story. We've seen it today. History is his story. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Jesus appeared. And because of this, God's story is not a tragedy. It is a comedy. And if you want your life to end on a high, if you want to have joy in the journey, his story needs to become your story. You see, history is his story and transformation for your story. The difference, though, from tragedy, death, destruction forever, and a full life, life with God now, life with God forever, the difference is whether or not Jesus' story becomes your story. When, when we 
Ask Jesus to forgive our sins. He does every single time, every single one of them. And when we follow him with our life, it honors God and it's good for us. You see, my prayer is that you will receive Jesus' story as your story because whoever follows Jesus finds life. And the way Paul concluded this section of scripture is this. I just want to read it for us. He says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Want your story to be a comedy? I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus here and now. Give you, in just a moment, I'll give you an opportunity to pray a prayer in your own heart, your own mind. But what scripture tells us is this, that whoever declares with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, he will be saved. You don't have to do anything to earn God's love. Grace is a free gift. It's the gift of God for eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, as we read earlier. So if you would like to receive Jesus, we're gonna all bow our heads and just in your own heart, your own mind, I would invite you to pray a similar prayer to what I'm gonna model now. The words aren't magical, so express your heart to God. Lord, I'm a sinner. I miss the mark time and time again. And I recognize that that separates me from you. But Jesus, thank you for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Would you please forgive me for my sin right now? You are my God, my Savior, my Lord. Help me follow you all the days of my life. In your name, amen. Well, I've been praying that somebody would receive Jesus, and I believe that somebody probably prayed that prayer. So can we just give them a hand? Because that's why we gather. That's why we celebrate. It's why Easter matters. God changes stories. He changes lives. And if you just decided to follow Jesus, you're not supposed to follow him alone. Let us know on your Connect card. We'd love to celebrate with you that decision, and we'd love to walk alongside you. And we'd love to help you take a real significant step. You see, in Scripture, what we see, we're going to talk about this in the weeks to come, but when someone follows Jesus, like the first thing they do is get baptized. Not because baptism saves or anything like that. Jesus already did that. Baptism symbolically represents that death to the life of sin and the rising to this new life with Jesus. It's a public declaration, I'm with him. So if you haven't taken that step, we'd love to help you take that step too. Let us know on your Connect card. Let me pray for all of us and then I'll lead us into the next time. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news of Jesus. Thank you for the victory that we have in him. Thank you that we can have this conversation now. Thank you for, for life now and forever with you. All because of Jesus. Thank you for rising from the dead and with that giving us hope and transformation. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen.